Hey, hey, welcome to the Late Night Sports Podcast with your host, Cody Shook. We're here in episode 35 on November 1st. 2019. We've got a long show planned for you guys like we have been the past few weeks because we're only doing one show a week now instead of every single night. And we are going to start here with the breaking news. Joel Embiid and Carl Anthony Towns suspended for two games after their little scuffle that they had um, last night. It was it was kind of weird. They went back and forth afterwards on like social media. And I mean, these are two really big dudes. They're big names. And it's just like, I mean, two bodies bumping into each other and, you know, one guy takes exception to it and the other one starts to battle back. And, you know, it's understandable. It happens in the heat of uh, the moment, but kind of interesting that it happens this early in the season. It'll be interesting to see the next time that they play each other. But it seems like in the past, Joel Embiid has always sort of throwing shots at Carl Anthony Towns for really no apparent reason that we know of. It's really weird, but he always does it on social media. He's always posting things like uh, about Carl Anthony Towns or he'll post a picture and Carl Anthony Towns will be in the background of the picture after uh, Joel Embiid says something, you know, smart or whatever. It, it's very interesting and that might um be a bigger storyline later on in this season between Joel Embiid and Carl Anthony Towns. Garrett Cole thanks the Astros and the fans after the Game 7 loss to the Washington Nationals in the World Series. So really, that kind of shows us that there's really no sign of him signing a contract with the Astros in the future. He will become a free agent after uh, right now. He is a free agent. And even in the post-game press conference he wasn't even wearing Astros gear wasn't wearing Astros hat he was wearing a hat from his, his agent's company you know he, he was wearing his agent's hat he wasn't even wearing his team hat because he had already dismissed himself he had already moved on and he's gone he is done with the Astros he thanked him and said peace out uh, I'm going to go test the free agent market. The man wants his money, and he's going to get it. He's a really good pitcher. He's got a lot of experience, and he's got a lot of miles left on, on those legs and the body. He's going to be fine. He's going to make his money. But will he be with a contender? Probably not. The Patriots are releasing Josh Gordon as he comes off of the IR. Uh, this happened, I think, last week. They put him on the IR. And, you know, he was pretty upset about it. And I just, I, I can't understand it because this is a, a really good wide receiver. This is a guy that can help the Patriots moving forward. He takes a lot of um, attention away from other guys like Edelman. And, I mean, he is a true number one. He is a really good wide receiver, and they're going to release him. I don't know if they're going to re-sign him, but I guess they are forced to release him. But, it you know, it kind of puts... Um, Josh Gordon in this weird spot because he thought that he was getting better. I mean, he was only on the IR for like a week or two and, you know, they had to put him, uh, they had to release him afterwards. So he knew that. And now, I mean, there's a number one wide receiver out there waiting to be signed. I mean, I, I see, I don't understand it because the Patriots, are they going to resign him for less? Are they... Planning on resigning him? I guess only time will tell. That'll be an interesting story moving forward. But the Patriots are releasing Josh Gordon as mandatory. Uh, they have to after putting him on the IR, um, the certain IR list. 
So that is our breaking news here on episode 35 of the Late Night Sports Podcast. Let's talk about the World Series. It concluded on Wednesday night, and it was a fantastic World Series. The Nationals defeated the Astros in Game 6 and 7 to win their first World Series. And this was the first time in World Series history, or even NHL, or the NBA that the away team always won. That is so crazy. And hey, Garrett Cole even said, how could you not defend your home turf at least once? Not one team did it. In seven games, the home team just couldn't get it done. And that, I mean, that is so, um, it's it's a huge storyline because, you know, an NL team did better with the DH than the AL team that had been doing it all year. But then the NL team, wasn't uh, couldn't get it done with their pitcher hitting, which is something they had done all season long. Super weird. And to go into another stadium with 40,000 strong, just going absolutely nuts the entire game, constantly standing, constantly, you can just hear the background noise, always going crazy, and the Nationals always rose up. But then again, so did the Astros. The Astros won three games at Nats Park, max capacity, standing room only. It was it was insane. It was a great World Series, but it was the third least viewed World Series. Down 1.3% from last year's five-game World Series. So in seven games, the World Series this year got less views than last year's between um, when the Red Sox won it. That, that's soup that's that's weird to me because how could there be two more games and 1.3% less viewers in the entire series 13.91 million viewers this season uh this year for the World Series well, but you got to take some things into account I guess because the trend of um stadiums being uh not rented out because uh, but uh, people coming to the stadiums, when the away when the team is away. So the Nats Stadium had 10, 15, 20,000 people in it for all four road games. Okay, and then they outside of the stadium, there's another area where people stand and it's like bars and stuff like that that they don't take that into account. That's one TV or 10 TVs. That's not thousands. So that's four games right there and I'm sure Houston did something very similar to that. So, as I think this becomes a bigger trend, where we're st- we just, we saw it with like uh, in, in NHL things like that when they're indoor stadiums uh, and arenas, they when the team's on the road, they let the fans come and they all watch it on the jumbotron. That is a really cool thing, and and I, I, it brings everybody together, even when the team's away. That is um, maybe one of the causes of the World Series being down 1.3%. But it was a fascinating World Series. But we go through and look at the scores here. Game 1, the Nats over the Astros 5 to 4. Game 2, Nats over the Astros 12 to 3. Game 3, Astros over the Nats 4 to 1. These are these next three games, game 3, 4 and 5 were in Washington. Game 4, Astros over the Nats 8 to 1. And then game 5, Astros over the Nats 7 to 1. So in three home games, the Nationals only scored 3 runs, whereas the Astros scored 19, 19 to three uh, in, in three games at your home ballpark. Where was the, where was it? 
Where was it for the Nationals in those three games? All they had to do was win one of those games, and they don't they, they don't have to go to Game Seven really, because you got your own, one of your aces on the mound in Game Six. And it just Corbin and um, Sanchez. They just didn't really have um, their A plus stuff the way that they did in the NLCS. It happens. It happens, especially when you're going up against uh, arguably one of the best lineups to be ever thrown out there. From top to bottom, the Astros had a fantastic lineup, uh, starting it off with George Springer and then Altuve. It it, it didn't get any easier after that. Um, Then we go to game five, uh, game six. The Nats over the Astros seven to two. And then in game seven, Nats over the Astros six to two. Granke um, was the storyline. Gave up a home run to Anthony Rendon when the score was 2-0. So then it became 2-1. Walked to the next guy. And then Howie Kendrick, two-run home run after they pulled Granke. Didn't go to Garrett Cole. Went to somebody else. And Howie Kendrick took a ball low and away and put it off the foul pole and right. It was a a pitch, I think, I I was reading something today. Um, He had swung at that pitch like six times all year or gotten a hit. Uh, He gotten a hit on that pitch. Six times this year, every one of them went for singles. But this one, in the World Series, went for a home run. It's the magic of sports. How do you do that? It was such a great pitch. It was a pitcher's pitch, and he went with it. A great piece of hitting. Howie Kendrick came up big again for the Nationals. And um, and just like that, the Nationals kind of quieted quieted the crowd, and then went on and won the game. They added a few more runs, and it was it was over. It was over from there. The Nationals won games one and two, lost three, four, and five, and then game uh, game six and seven, they, they did their thing. Max Scherzer wasn't able to get out of bed for his start. And then on game in game five, comes back. Gets a cortisone shot and pitches in game seven. He couldn't get dressed. His wife had to dress him because his shoulder um, and his, his trap muscle spasmed up and he could not move his arm. That's crazy. Gets a cortisone shot and pitches in game seven of the World Series and gutted it out. Gave up some runs early, but it it seemed to be the MO for the Nationals pitchers. They would give up runs early and then dominate the rest of the game. The bullpen over the course of the postseason, a bullpen that had been taxed all year long, a bullpen that struggled all year long, giving, I mean, just blowing games and, and struggling and uh, next guy up and injuries and things like this and things like that. And in the entire postseason, the bullpen never blew a lead, never gave up a game. Some things are just meant to be. And it seemed to be the Nationals' time. Steven Strasburg, he won the World Series MVP with wins in games two and six. He became the first pitcher to ever go 5-0 in a postseason. In the World Series, he had 14 innings pitched, four earned runs, and 14 strikeouts. The first pitcher ever to go 5-0 in a postseason. There had been pitchers that had gone 5-1, like Randy Johnson, but uh, hey, 5-0 Five and zero is obviously better than five and one. One of the most improbable 
outcomes for this Nationals team and their season, and they end up winning the World Series. They were so underneath 500. They were uh, in May. Everybody was writing them off. Saying David Martinez needs to be fired. They, there needs to be changes. They stuck with it. And and Mike Rizzo, the the GM, said once everybody gets healthy, we're going to be fine. We're going to be a good team. We're going to be contenders. And they were. That's what happens when you have faith and you and you know what you've got. They had a strong rotation. They had strong hitters. And and they're fielding uh, uh, the only. Errors that I can remember were way back against the Dodgers when Howie Kendrick made like two errors at first base uh, in game like one or two. After that, the defense played amazing all the way around. I I don't know how the Nats did it, but they were good this year and there, there just seemed to be some magic in Washington. Zach Greinke was throwing a phenomenal game. I mean, he had like four, five, six balls hit right back at him. Got him. Turned a double play, uh, a, a, like a one-six-three. Um, Anthony Rendon ch- kind of just did what he did all season. He changed the game, changed the atmosphere. They were still down. They were still down when he hit the home run, but it seemed like the Nationals were back. The Nationals were in it, and the Astros—they just—they. Uh, Guriel hit a home run early in the game, and they just weren't able to continue the momentum by adding more runs. It seemed like once the Astros gave that first punch, they were unable to add any more onto it. And it seemed like that was the, the thing when they played at home. When they were on the road, they were able to add. But when they were at home, the Astros, when they got that last at bat, they just couldn't do anything with it. Some World Series stats here. Juan Soto. The 2021-year-old, 9 hits, 3 home runs, 2 doubles, 7 runs batted in. Adam Eaton, 8 hits, 2 home runs, 6 runs batted in. Anthony Rendon, 8 hits, 2 home runs, 8 runs batted in, and 3 walks. That is your 2, 3, and 4 hitters right there. Accounting for 25 run, uh, 25 hits. 25 hits in 7 games and 7 home runs. They would get on base for each other just so they could uh, each other in. That's We talked about it way a long time ago. In uh, the first 10 episodes of the Late Night Sports Podcast, who was the best three, four hitters in Major League Baseball? We had some guys, you know, like the, the Mookie Betts or uh, Xander Bogarts and J.D. Martinez and Freddie Freeman, Josh Donaldson, but we went with Juan Soto and Anthony Rendon because of what they can do. And man, I hope Anthony Rendon re-signs with the Nationals because they've just got something special there. We haven't seen back-to-back champs in a while, have we? If, if, if they got their team back, why not? But unfortunately, I think him, Strasburg, they, they leave. They go somewhere else. They're going to get their money somewhere else. On the other side, the Houston Astros and, you know, their, their hitters, they, 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 they're so dangerous and they were working counts and they weren't swinging at bad pitches and they were, they were making the starting pitchers come out in the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh inning because of the pitch count, because they were driving it up and they were, they were just putting the ball in play 
but they weren't able to get anything going. Jose Altuve, number two uh, hole hitter for the Houston Astros, 10 hits, three doubles. Alex Bregman possibly would have been the MVP if the Astros would have won it. Only had six hits, but three of them were home runs, and they were big ones. Yuli Gurriel, nine hits, two doubles, and one home run. That's uh, that, that just doesn't seem as impressive as the Nationals. The, the Nationals hitters came to play, and you just never thought that they were out of it. Game seven, they were down 2 nothing. I think it was the sixth or the seventh inning. And, you know, right there in that at three, four, five, those innings, three through five, three through six, you know, it was kind of a snooze fest. It was, it was quick innings and it was just boring and whatever. And, and, you know, it wasn't really entertaining baseball. But then it got turned on. You knew eventually it was going to happen. You just didn't know when. And they were able to do it. They were able to do it. So that's enough of the World Series talk here. Let's let's talk a little bit about free agency, why don't we? There's going to be 131 free agents that have hit the market. The top ones, Anthony Rendon and Garrett Cole. Those are those are the big-name free agents. Uh, we talked about Steven Strasburg. He has four years, $100 million left on his contract, but he can opt out. And it's appearing like he will. That's $25 million a year that he is giving up to go somewhere else. Or maybe re-sign with the Nationals for a bigger and better deal. $25 million. What more do you expect to get? Unfortunately, um, you know, it it might not be the worst thing. I'm telling you right now, it's a bold prediction. But it might not be the worst thing if the Nationals don't re-sign Steven Strasburg. You can't tell me that this man will not get hurt. In the course of the next 10 years, and it, it might be a life, uh, a, a season, a career ending, changing injury. He has dealt with injury problems before, and he will do it again. It, it happens. Even the best fall. But Steven Strasburg has, has been having injury problems since he was 20 years old when he got to the league. So don't tell me it, it, he's worth... I understand he had a fantastic year, 1,000% fantastic year, fantastic postseason. But to sustain that is going to be tough. He has not had to go deep into the postseason in the very end of October ever before and then come back in uh, February, March, April for spring training and start to ramp it back up. That's a quick turnaround for a pitcher. Somebody that threw over... over, uh, 250 innings. It's going to be tough. So, but he's not officially a free agent. So I can't really talk too much about that. Anthony Rendon is a free agent. He turned down the Nationals offer earlier in the season. He's expecting to get 30 plus million a year, which he'll probably get. He is going to be the top paid third baseman uh, going into next year. And rightfully so. He plays a fantastic third base. He is able to turn double plays super quickly with a sidearm action. He can field bunts well. He comes in, bare hands. And then, I mean, the man can hit. He gets on base. He just, for power, I mean, home runs, doubles. Tony Two Bags knows what he's doing up there at the plate. And he's going to get paid for it. I don't know where he's going to go. We'll talk about that maybe later. Maybe another show. uh, Possible spots for these guys to land. Um, 
But I mean, you see, you see guys like Manny Machado. He got the big deal. He went to the the Padres in San Diego. But what did you hear anything about Manny Machado this year? Him and Eric Hosmer? No, you didn't. The Padres. I mean, yeah, you get that big money, but you go somewhere and you don't do anything. Bryce Harper went to the Phillies, got his three hundred plus million, but they didn't do anything. They didn't make it to the playoffs. So. Do you want the money or do you want the ring? Do you want to chase that feeling that you just got? Do you want to win another ring? Well, you're not going to if you go and ask for $330 million or or even more. You're not going to get the ring. Not many guys can because you have to account for like three players to be getting paid $30 million a year. I mean, you have to account for three $10 million a year guys. You have to account for three guys, three plus. And you can't do that. You can't sustain that. It's tough. Mike Trout, yeah, he can, but they're not making the playoffs. They're not doing anything. So big deal. Who cares? I don't care if you're putting up the stats. At the end of the day, we remember winners and championships. And you're not going to be a championship winner when you become the face of the franchise because you're making the most money and you're kind of saying... I don't really care about the rest of the team. That's how I think about it. That's my own opinion. But I think if you want your big contract, why not make it a five-year deal, make it a max contract just for those five years, get your money, and then then go chase your ring. Don't sign a 10-year, 12-year deal for $300 million, $400 million and expect to win a ring. It's just not going to happen. I just don't see it. Some other names here uh, to become free agents, part of that 131-person list. Madison Bumgarner, Rick Porcello, Cole Hamels, and Jake Odorizzi. Those are just pitchers. And, you know, other than Garrett Cole and Steven Strasburg, there's not really, none of those names really jump out to me and say, I need them. Uh, Madison Bumgarner is getting a little old. Rick Porcello had a, ba- a bad year this year, a good year the year before uh, when the Red Sox went on that that long run and won the World Series. Cole Hamels, he seems pretty old to me. He doesn't seem like he is um, going to be um, a factor. Uh, you know, we saw guys like Dallas Keuchel not get picked up until midway through the season. That We could be seeing that in the Cole Hamels type of deal. But, um, you know, somebody will take the chance. He's got a lot of experience. He's probably not going to take uh, expect too much money. So he might be a good pickup for somebody. And then Jake Odorizzi um, is a young guy. And we could see him get a, one of those mid-level deals um, this, se- this offseason. For the fielders, we've got Didi Gregorius. Josh Donaldson, Yasiel Puig, Marcelo Zuna, and Jose Abreu. Abreu led the AL in runs batted in this year. And, I mean, he is a power guy. I'd like to see him go somewhere else other than Chicago. I'd like to see him win. Uh, He hasn't uh, really ever been vocal about anything about Chicago. So, obviously, he seems like a good guy and a a hard worker. He plays uh, really solid all the way around in his game. Marcelo Zuna is still a young guy. We saw him get traded from the Marlins to the Cardinals. And he had a really down and then up year. He performed as uh, later on in the season. So therefore, you know, his stock goes up because what have you done for me lately? Well, he played well. 
And then Yasiel Puig, I used, it's been, what, four, five, six years he's been in the league. I still don't know what we can expect from this man other than 240, 250 hitter, uh, 20 home runs, um, some crazy throws, and a lot of mouth and a lot of attention being taken off the field and onto Yasiel Puig. Josh Donaldson just doesn't seem like the same Josh Donaldson to me personally. He doesn't seem like the Donaldson that we saw with the Toronto Blue Jays. But, uh, you know, you get to a different hitting coach, getting to a different atmosphere, a different field. That could change a lot. And think about this. If Anthony Rendon leaves, who better to replace him than Josh Donaldson? That would be a solid third baseman to replace Anthony Rendon. Look for it. Josh Donaldson, Nationals, if Anthony Rendon leaves. Didi Gregorius, I think the uh, Yankees will re-sign him. He is a really, he's a young guy and you know, he, they've, they've always want, they've liked him. They've liked him for a reason and that's because he knows what he's doing, but he does get hurt a little bit and that's not what you want from your middle infielder. You want some continuity up the middle and we'll see what the Yankees do with that. Two more names that are on the free agent market, Aroldis Chapman and JD Martinez. Aroldis Chapman is not the same Aroldis Chapman that we remember. He did give up the home run to Jose Altuve in Game 7 of the ALCS. Does he go somewhere else? Do the Yankees want him again? Well, the Yankees just fired their pitching coach, so they're going a different route there. Can you imagine him going somewhere else? There are a lot of teams that need some back end of the bullpen help. Aroldis Chapman, uh, he, a top reliever coming out without a doubt. And then you got J.D. Martinez, a guy that uh, hits home runs. There, there's talks about him going to the Chicago White Sox. I, Ah, oh man. I think if the Red Sox would have had a better year this year, then J.D. Martinez you know, stays in, in Boston. But they struggled this year. They've still got a lot of talent. But they're, they're shaking some things up, and there's a chance uh, that he, he goes somewhere else. J.D. Martinez is a top outfielder in the league because of his bat. Not so much because of his uh, glove, but uh, that outfield is, is pretty stacked right now with uh, Mookie Betts in center and then uh, Ben Attendi in left. And you know with, with J.D. Martinez in right, and then you, you, you could also D.H. him. That, that that's that's what you want if you're the Red Sox. Unfortunately, that that's looks like it's not going to be like that. And then you know we we've got out of all these free agents, I, I only named like ten. There's 131. So a lot of these guys are going to go unsigned. A lot of these guys are not going to be playing baseball next year, and that's just the nature of the beast. We'll see some of them get picked up, you know, halfway through the season, things like that, if they can stay in shape. Uh, we saw Dallas Keuchel do it, and he, he did all right. He got to pitch in the play, uh, playoffs. And, and you know, some guys, what's wrong with that, right? You know, you don't you don't get picked up in the offseason. You get picked up halfway through by a playoff contender. What's wrong with that? Your season gets cut short. Yeah, but you get to rest a little bit. You get to work on your body a little bit more. You don't, you, you don't risk injury. and You get paid a little bit less, and then you hit the chopping block the year later. It happens. So that is enough talk for Major League Baseball. That is a wrap on Major League Baseball right now. You know, next week in next week's show, we'll probably talk about the awards that have come out. We'll revisit our uh, too soon 
predictions and what we thought would happen and who the MVP and Rookie of the Year, things like that will be. So we'll touch on that later uh, in the coming weeks. But right now, we're done with Major League Baseball talk, the World Series, Nationals, congratulations, first title going back to Washington, D.C., and we've talked about the MLB free agents. So up next on the Late Night Sports Podcast with Cody Shook, thank you guys so much for tuning in on iTunes, SoundCloud. I really appreciate it. Please tell your friends to tune in. Uh, We're going to have a show once every week right now. That might change. We're not sure yet. And then if you subscribe on iTunes, all you have to do is just press that subscribe button. It comes to your phone as soon as I post it. And then it sends you a notification. You listen. Boom. Done. Easy peasy. And then, you know, it's just like that. So please tell your friends. Please tell your friends. uh, Late Night Sports with Cody Shook. So up next, we've got college football, and then we've got uh, NFL, we've got Thursday Night Football, NBA, and then we've got NHL, rounding it all out. So let's talk about the college football top 25. A little bit of a shakeup. There are only two spots that did not change in this week's college football top 25. That'd be number three and four, Ohio State and Clemson. We'll start with number one. LSU moving up to number one, moving up one spot from number two. Number two, Alabama down one. Number three, Ohio State. Number four, Clemson. Number five, Penn State up one after their win against Michigan State. Number six, Florida up one. Number seven, Oregon up four. Number eight, Georgia up two. Number nine, Utah up three. Number 10, Oklahoma down five spots. Still time to get back in it. Number 11, Auburn, down two. Number 12, Baylor, up two. Number 13, Minnesota, undefeated Minnesota on a bye week this upcoming week. They're up four. Number 14, Michigan, up five spots after the big win against Notre Dame. Number 15, SMU, up one. Number 16, Notre Dame, down eight. Number 17, Cincinnati, up one. Number 18, Wisconsin, down five spots after their big loss against Ohio State. Back-to-back losses. And number 19, Iowa up one. Number 20, Appalachian State up one. Number 21, Boise State. 22, Kansas State. Number 23, Wake Forest. 24, Memphis. And 25, San Diego State. So that's a round out of the college football top 25 going into the week. And from the past week, what did we have that was big? The storylines, there were a lot of them. There were a lot of them. LSU got a close victory over Auburn. That's why Auburn only dropped two spots. But LSU had to move up. They had to be rewarded for, you know, they. we talked about it at the very beginning of the year. I could not pick them to win the SEC. I could not pick them to go to the playoffs because of their schedule and how tough their schedule is. Right now, they're proving everybody wrong. They had to play, I think, six six ranked teams at the very beginning of the season, the, the preseason rankings. Um And, you know, finishing out the season with, like, teams like Alabama, that's not easy. They've still got to play Alabama. But right now, they're the number one team in the country. We're looking at number one versus number two in two weeks, and it's going to be thrilling. It's going to be insane. Unfortunately, there has to be a loser, and one of those teams probably not going to make the college football playoff in 2019 and that's unfortunate because I think they're two really good teams this year and we'll see we'll see Ohio State over Wisconsin 38 to 7 we just talked about it um 
Ohio State looks really good. I've said it almost every single week here on the Late Night Sports Podcast. They look really fast, so strong. That defense, they stopped Jonathan Taylor. He was a Heisman hopeful, but I think he is no longer a Heisman hopeful because of that game. We talked about it on last week's podcast. I said this could be a really bad game for Jonathan Taylor because either Ohio State puts up a lot of points and then they take the running game out or... Jonathan Taylor just gets shut down, and it and it's still a low-scoring game, but the, there's nothing that Jonathan Taylor can do. And I think and, and that proved it. I understand you're 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 gonna have a bad game, but you can't if you want to be in the Heisman. If you want to be there and and after this game, there are talks about Chase Young, the defensive lineman for Ohio State, becoming the Heisman. So it went from Jonathan Taylor to Chase Young. It went from Justin Fields to Chase Young. And now they're talking about defensive player for the Heisman. Hasn't happened since Charles Woodson. Will it happen? I don't think so. We'll talk more about our Heisman picks later. But I I just wanted to say that, you know, we talked about this and Jonathan Taylor was most likely going to get shut down by Ohio State's defense, and he did. And that's because Ohio State put up a lot of points and Jonathan Taylor just, they, they took the running game out. There was no, you can't run when you're down by two, three touchdowns, two, three touchdowns. You can't because you're taking too much time off the clock and you need to score. And Wisconsin couldn't do it. Wisconsin could not hang. The biggest one probably of the week, Kansas State upset number five, Oklahoma, 48-41. Kansas State now five and two, Oklahoma uh, with that one loss. That is Awful. You can't lose to Kansas State. Oklahoma, you are supposed to be going to the national championship. You're supposed to be going to the playoffs. You're supposed to be going to the Big 12 championship. But most likely not anymore. 48-41 final score. Jalen Hurts, a really level-headed guy, plays with no emotion. But he plays so passionate. It's hard to... To do that, but he's really good. He's a really good quarterback. He can throw the ball. Um, CD Lamb is. Uh, there was one play uh, towards that very very end of the game. He had like it was just like a just a quick pass. Seventy yards later, touchdown. That got him back in the game. That got him rolling. Then they then they are make they make it a seven point game. Onside kick. They get it back. But unfortunately, their own player, a true freshman, touched it at around like the nine, nine and a half yard line. Nine and a half yard mark. Has to get 10 yards. He touched it. It ricocheted. It went like 10 yards down the further down the field. But unfortunately, touched it too soon. Oklahoma did recover, but it did not matter. And they lose 48 to 41. They drop all the way down to number 10. And that is so unfortunate because Texas lost this week. To, uh, last week to TCU, 37 to 27, and now Texas is unranked. So Oklahoma beats Texas, uh, LSU beats Texas. So now Texas becomes a non-quality uh, win because they're not ranked, and they're not. It, it's it doesn't matter if you beat Texas because Texas ends the season not ranked and, and not not with a good record. They've got three losses so far. So that hurts Oklahoma in the long run. Oklahoma needed that win. Still a long season to go, though. 
Still, they've still got time. They're at 10 right now. And we've seen teams that lose. Oregon lost the, the first game of the year to Auburn. Auburn's now 11th. Oregon is number 7. Florida just lost to LSU. Florida's back in the top 6. At number 6. Georgia lost to South Carolina. They're back to 8. If you lose a game, it's okay. You've still got a chance. But a lot needs to happen. A lot needs to happen for these teams to get back in it. Michigan over Notre Dame, 45-14. That was was a big game because Michigan goes up to 14, and Michigan continues to just stay in there. There's no chance that they make it to the playoff or anything like that or even the Big Ten championship game, but they are are a quality win. If you beat Michigan, it's tough. They They do have a good defense. This was the first time that we saw a Michigan offense. First time all season we've seen a Michigan offense. And they show up in the biggest one of their biggest games. They can still play spoiler if they beat Ohio State at the end of the year. That would be their Super Bowl. It really is. That would be a big game for them. And depends on how everything works out. If Michigan beats Ohio State and Penn State loses to Ohio State, but Penn State beat Michigan... Wow. Who goes to the Big Ten Championship? It, it is, uh, it'll be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see. So this upcoming weekend is an interesting one because a few teams are on the bye. No Alabama, no LSU, no Ohio State, no Penn State, no Oklahoma, and Clemson's playing Wofford. Big freaking whoop. This weekend is pretty much awful. Other than Georgia, number eight, Georgia, at number six, Florida. That is, without a doubt, the biggest game of the weekend. Two top 10 teams, two SEC teams, but those teams, um, that's it. That's it. You've got number 15, SMU, at number 24, Memphis, and number seven, Oregon, at USC. So really, only bad things can happen there for Oregon. If they win, they win. If If they lose, they're out. They're done. But Oregon has a chance. I was I was talking to some some people this past week. Um, Oregon has a chance to go to the playoff. They've got to win out though. They have to win out, and they have to win the back the Pac-12. It's going to be tough, but something has to come from if they do win out and win the Pac-12. They have to get rewarded somehow, right? At least finish in the top six. At least. I'd like to see Oregon do you know get in there. Good team, young team, uh, really quick paced, and um, you know they started their season off with Auburn. I like that. We you guys know that. I I like when teams try to build their resume early, and Oregon tried to do that. So with no Alabama, no LSU, no Ohio State, no Penn State, no Oklahoma, that's four out of your five number one teams. And your number six team is playing a top 10 team, Florida, Georgia. It's at the Swamp. That'll be interesting. It's going to be, I think, a high-scoring game. These teams are going to run up and down the field. And I don't know. I I really would like to see Florida win it. But I think Florida, at this point, has more of a chance to go to the playoff than Georgia does. But we know the committee loves Georgia. So we'll see about that. There was some Thursday night action. Thursday night college football action. 
Number 12, Baylor over WVU 17 to 14. And Baylor is now 8 and 0. Baylor, Big 12, 8 0. No one thought we'd, we'd hear that, right? This late in the season, 8 0? Good for, good for Baylor. Upset of the week already. Already making a bid for upset of the week. Number 20 upset. Number 20, Appalachian State upset by Georgia Southern 24-21 on Thursday night football. This is two years in a row that Georgia Southern has beaten Appalachian State. And just like that, your run in the top 25 has come to an end. You will no longer be ranked in the top 25 after you get beat by Georgia Southern. Let's take a look at our Heisman picks. Who do we have? Who did we pick at the very beginning of the season? How are they doing? Well, we picked Tua, and last week he was out with an ankle sprain, so we can't really, we're not going to update his stats because they didn't change. Uh, they were playing Arkansas, and he probably would have had a three, four, five touchdown game. And unfortunately, padding his stats, uh, unable to do so in that game against Arkansas. And he's questionable, still questionable against LSU for next week. Still questionable. Jonathan Taylor, 1,000 and Seven, 1,007 rushing yards, 15 touchdowns, 143 receiving yards, and four touchdowns. So he has 19 total touchdowns and over 1,100 total yards. Having a great, a great season. But here's what it comes down to in my eyes. In my eyes. What do you do in the big games? Because there are always going to be people that have more yards than you, more touchdowns than you, and, and whatever, and blah, blah, blah. But those guys, usually, they don't play the best of the best. The guys that have the most of every category, and they had that one game that they had 600 rushing yards, or whatever it is, they're not playing against the best teams. So when you play the best teams, you have to perform. At least do what you you know, average, and Jonathan Taylor did not do that. Justin Fields, 1,659 passing yards, 24 touchdowns, one interception, 319 rushing yards, and nine touchdowns. So he accounts for 33 touchdowns and close to 2,000 total yards. Close to 2,000 total yards. Justin Fields, I I mean, he's got to be in there. Jalen Hurts after losing to Kansas State. That's tough. That's a tough loss. So I think it comes down to Tua, unfortunately, is after his injury, he goes down a peg. Uh, Joe Burrow, still undefeated down at LSU, and he's putting up big numbers, uh, winning big games. I think, it's, uh, I think it's between Tua, Justin Fields, Jalen Hurts, and Burrow. I think that's what it is. And that, there's a lot of time for that to change. A lot of time for that to change. So that is enough talk of college football here on the Late Night Sports Podcast. What do we have now? NFL after eight weeks. The This past week, the Eagles handed the Bills their second loss, 31-13. to That's a big win for the Eagles. That can turn around a season there. Beating a team that is really good and has one of the top defenses, and you put up 31 points on it and you hold them to 13, that's not as impressive as holding the Bills to 13 because they don't really score a lot. But... You score 31 on that defense, that turns around your season. It's still, we're right around the halfway point here. Drew Brees returned from his uh, thumb injury. 
After sitting out for uh, five, six weeks, Teddy Bridgewater the, goes back to his backup role. And Teddy Bridgewater, still a young guy, going to get paid. Um, or, I mean, he's just going to stay in, in uh, New Orleans. Drew Brees returned, got the victory, threw for 373 yards and three touchdown touchdowns in the win over the Arizona Cardinals. The Packers beat the Chiefs 31-24, and Rodgers made a phenomenal phenomenal throw for a touchdown at the back of the end zone. Aaron Rodgers was like falling down. And then all of a sudden, I mean, he looks up, he's on the ground, he looks up and he said, oh my goodness, I just threw a touchdown. It was a great pass where only his guy could get it. There was no chance for an interception, no chance for um, anything ridiculous to happen. Just threw it up and, and his, his guy was there. His guy was there. Um, the Steelers improved to three and four with the 27-14 victory over the Dolphins. And the Steelers are only two games back now of that division. And who would have thought that was going to happen? Mason Rudolph, you know, as your starting quarterback, he missed a week. And they got a a win on that one. But Mason uh, Mason Rudolph, he has two wins on the year. And both of them are on Monday Night Football. So what is it about Monday Night Football? Maybe that extra day of preparation. Will the Steelers be able to contend? Maybe. They still got some more games against the Bengals, the Browns. They've got to play the Ravens. It'll be interesting to see. The Ravens are all, well, only have five wins. Steelers have three. There's a chance. Thursday night football. Thursday night football of week nine. Thursday night football. The 49ers beat the Cardinals 28-25 to improve to 8-0 on the season. Jimmy G, 314 yards, four touchdown passes, and newly acquired number one wide receiver, Emmanuel Sanders, 112 yards and one touchdown. The 49ers are rolling. The defense, I mean, they look good. But tonight, they did not. In the in over the course of the eight games, the, the defense for the 49ers has looked really good. But tonight it looked like they just came out sluggish and they just didn't. I don't know. The scheme was just not there. Thursday night games are different. We've heard players say that they don't like Thursday night games, and you know, you don't get to prep as much. And the Cardinals, it looked like they had the offense rolling. The Arizona Cardinals had the offense rolling. Give that game a little bit longer, and I think the Cardinals might win that game. The 49ers were able to run the ball out at the end of the game. They were able to get um, a first down, uh, a couple first downs on their last drive that started with like three or four minutes left. They were able to sustain a drive, and it was really big. Cardinals had to use all their timeouts, and Jimmy G, just he's looking good right now. He's at four touchdowns, passes his career high, and it, it I don't see him going down anymore, um, regressing. Uh, rather, I mean, he, their next game is November 11th versus the Seahawks on ESPN, and just another big game for the uh, 49ers. There, uh, that'll be another big test for San Francisco. The a lot of people are saying, you know, the 49ers don't play anybody, haven't played anybody yet. Their toughest games will be week 14 at the Saints, week 13 at the Ravens, and then week 17 at the Seahawks. And anytime you have to go to Seattle, it's it's not likely that you win because Seattle's such a tough place to play. And especially week 17, that might be a game that determines which team goes to the playoffs. Because the Seahawks right now are just two games back. A lot can change in that time. And we'll see. The biggest games of week nine, 
other than the 49ers and Cardinals that we just saw, a divisional game. We will have another divisional game, the Texans at the Jags, which will be basically a fight for first place. The Colts are 5-2, and two, the Texans are 5-3, and three, and the Jags are 4-4. Four and four. If the Colts lose and the Jags win, you got a three-team uh, tie for first place. So that is why I have that one as one of the biggest games of the week for week nine. The Texans at the Jags. The Vikings are 6-2. They will be at the 5-3 Chiefs. The Patriots 8-0 at the 5-2 Ravens. Sunday night, the Pats are three-point favorites in this game. And then on Monday night, we've got the Cowboys at the Giants. Just another division rivalry game. I think another big one is the Patriots at the Ravens. The Ravens have a chance to knock off the Patriots And the Ravens have um, a lot of talent from top to bottom. Defense, they've got young talent, veteran-led talent. Lamar Jackson seems like he's still trying to figure out what what kind of a quarterback he is. Is he a passer? Is he a runner? Is he whatever? Uh, He's trying to do one thing when he should be doing everything because he can do everything because he's a really good quarterback. Give him some time. They've got a chance, though. They're playing in Baltimore. It is a loud stadium, and the Patriots will be on the road. Can the Patriots can the Patriots remain undefeated? We'll see. We'll see. So our NFL weekly power rankings. Unfortunately, we didn't do them last week, so we have nothing to compare it to. Uh, we just, you know, we were kind of pressed for time. We were we we're trying to make this about an hour long, and we were right there at the hour. So we uh, weren't able to do them. The NFL Power Rankings after Week 8, going into Week 9, I've got the Patriots 1, 49ers 2, Packers 3, Vikings 4, and then the Saints at 5. Drew Brees coming back, picking up right where he left off, right where Teddy Bridgewater has left them. The Saints are at 5. The uh, I, you got to go with the undefeateds, right? They're, I mean, they're, they're undefeated for a reason. And then... The Packers, they've only got one loss. They're looking really good. Vikings only have two losses. They're, I don't even know. We could talk about the Vikings all day long. And then the Saints. With Drew Brees, anytime you have Drew Brees, you, you're, you're right there. You're in it. So those are my NFL weekly power rankings. Patriots 1, 49ers 2, Packers 3, Vikings 4, Saints and uh, 5. So now let's move on to the NBA. Only three games tonight. We had the Miami Heat. Over the Atlanta Hawks, 106-97. The Clippers and Spurs. And then the Pelicans and Nuggets. Pelicans did get their first win of the season over the Nuggets. Steph Curry broke his hand after falling on it in last night's game. And he'll be out for a little while. Uh, had uh, had surgery, got it all fixed up. But it's going to be a while for the rehab. Kevin Durant said that his spat with Draymond Green weighed in his decision to leave. That makes sense, right? Anytime you have a fight with somebody, I mean, that stays in the back of your mind. And KD said, uh, you know, maybe a little bit of that caused me to leave. That's unfortunate for the Warriors because now their team is literally Draymond Green and the who? Yeah, exactly. The rest of the team is absolutely atrocious and now it looks like they're going to get their first round draft pick back they, they gave it away in a sign and trade to the Brooklyn Nets for D'Angelo Russell with it being contingent on it being outside of the top 20 now it looks like it'll be in the top 20 and the Warriors will get that pick 
So then next year, they'll have Klay Thompson, they'll have Steph Curry, Draymond Green, and then a top 20 draft pick. The dynasty could be rebuilt. Just give it some time. Might be a bad year this year, though. Kyle Kuzma practices with uh, the Lakers and is set to make his debut on Friday. The Lakers looking really good right now. Right now, uh, we'll do a little bit of the standings here. The Eastern Conference, the 76ers are 4-0. The Heat, 4-1. Raptors, 4-1. That is the top of the Eastern Conference. Now the bottom, Pacers, Wizards, Nets, Knicks, and Bulls all each have just one win early on in the season. The Western Conference, we've got the Jazz, 4-1. Spurs were 3-0 going into tonight's game. The Lakers, Mavericks, Timberwolves, and Rockets are 3-1 on the season, and the Pelicans got their first win of the season tonight over the Denver Nuggets, a team that a lot of people have picked to go all the way and win the entire thing, especially coming out of the, the West. Now the Warriors really just aren't there. So where does that take us? We just covered the NBA. Now let's move on to the NHL, the Eastern Conference, uh, the Atlantic Division. The Bruins still lead. 9-1-2 record, 20 points. They're tied with the Buffalo Sabres, 9-2-2 with 20 points. The Panthers, 6-3-4 with 16 points. That is the top of the Atlantic Division of the Eastern Conference. The Metropolitan Division, a little bit more busy up top. We've got the Capitals, 9-2-3. Coming out of the gates hot, looking good. 21 points. The Hurricanes, 8-3-1, 17 points. And then we've got a uh, two-way tie here. Uh, in third place, the Islanders, 8-3-0, 16 points. And then the Pittsburgh Penguins, 8-5-0, with 16 points as well. That is a look at the Eastern Conference standings of the NHL. And then we've got the Western Conference here, the Central Division, a tie at the top with the Avalanche and the Predators. The Avalanche, 8-2-2 with 18 points. And the Predators, 8-3-2 with 18 points. The Blues right below them, 7-3-3 with 17 points. And then let's look at the Pacific Division of the Western Conference. We've got five teams that are all neck, 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 and right on top of each other. The Oilers, 9-4-1, 19 points. Canucks, 8-3-1, 17 points. And then we got a three-way tie for third place, the Golden Knights, 8-5, 16 points. Ducks, 8-6 with 16 points. And then the Flames, 7-6-2 with 16 points. In tonight's game, the Calgary Flames took on Nashville, the Predators. And they beat them 6-5 in overtime. It was a back-and-forth game. And as I... Talking about this, another game just went final. The Clippers beat the Spurs. So the Spurs, who were 3-0 going into the game tonight, are now 3-1 after their loss to the Clippers. Kawhi Leonard, 38 points. Um, Looks like, look like he's playing well. I don't see the Clippers making it really out of the Western Conference, going to the, the finals. I just, I just don't see it. But, you know, you just never know. But back to hockey, the Calgary Flame over the National Predators, 6-5 in overtime. The pretty um, pretty weak schedule here on a Thursday night, but obviously, you know, NBA, NHL ramps it up for the weekends, Fridays, Saturdays, Sundays. The Capitals do have off on Saturday. Why am I telling you this? Because the Washington Nationals are back in town here in Washington, D.C., 
And that is when the parade will be. The parade in Washington will start at 2 p.m. on Saturday afternoon. So the Capitals might be in attendance. And we all saw that the Capitals were big fans of the Washington Nationals during their playoff run. You know, we saw it that the at the bars after the game, we, the videos came out that the Capitals players, Ovechkin, big fan, really liked what he saw. Really like what he saw. So we might see some more found uh, swimming for the uh, Nationals Capitals during their celebration. And that is all we've got. That is all we've got for the Late Night Sports Podcast, episode number 35. 35. Uh, we're, we're just doing the once a week right now. Um, that'll obviously change. Um you know, based on schedules, things like that. We're hoping to, we're hoping to do more shows, but it, you, you just never know uh, right, now, right now, right now. So the best thing I can tell you is make sure you subscribe uh, to the iTunes, Late Night Sports with Cody Shook. It's very simple. Just search it in, Late Night Sports, and it, it'll come to your phone. It will come to your phone every single time I post uh, post one as soon as I get done with this one I'm posting it it's super quick um, and I just want to say thank you guys so much for tuning in um, please tell your friends to tune in to the late night sports podcast if you have any questions you want to talk about sports follow me on Twitter at Cody underscore shook 39 and we'll talk sports anytime you want um, have a great rest of your day <laughs>